Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tribune Audio Network. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to give up. We have to find her. I'm Katie Corman, a reporter for Fox 2 in St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you for joining us for episode two of our investigation into the disappearance of Amanda Jones. Amanda was a 26-year-old woman who was eight and a half months pregnant when she disappeared from Hillsborough, Missouri on August 14th, 2005. The last known person to have seen Amanda was the person she believed to be the father of her unborn child. We'll tell you a little bit about how the two of them met and why he has continued to be such a central figure in this investigation. But first, let's tell you a little bit about Amanda. My colleague, Andy Banker, has been investigating this case since the day Amanda disappeared. Andy, you have had a lot of interaction with Amanda's family, certainly in the beginning of this investigation. Tell me a little bit about what you learned about Amanda. You know, I think pictures are worth a thousand words, right? And through talking to them and looking at her photos so often and so frequently, a a bunch of different photos, it it really does. It feels like you not only know them, but you know her. I almost feel like I can hear her voice, even though we never had a conversation, you know. But from what I knew about her, family meant everything. She was a divorced mom. She had a four-year-old daughter, and she later became pregnant and was... Uh, by all accounts, excited about having this second child, even if that meant raising him on her own. And I say him because she knew, her family told me, her parents, Yui and Bertha Probst, told me that she knew she was going to have a son. A son that she planned to name Hayden. Hayden, yeah. I even was in Hayden's, uh, what would have been his bedroom. You know, she was just all geared up. She had a great job. She worked for Eagle Bank, I think, at the time. Had a nice little home in Peevely. Very well-kept, nice neighborhood. Um, So, you know, I say all that because she just did not seem to be someone who was distraught, even though it might not have been the most ideal of circumstances. She was seen to be at peace with her life and the future and uh, not only having her daughter Hannah, but having a little brother for Hannah uh, to bring home very soon, which would have been, what, a matter of days or a couple of weeks at most, and the family was going to grow. Amanda Jones was born Amanda Probst, October 6, 1978, to Huey and Bertha Probst. Amanda had an older brother, Brian, and eventually a younger sister named Carrie. They describe her as just being the light of all of their lives. But they all describe her as just a wonderful person. Yeah, Amanda's uh, mother tells me Amanda was her best friend. Carrie says that Amanda was like a second mom to her, that she was her best friend, her big sister, a second mother, her 
confidant, her protector, all wrapped into one. Here's her sister, Carrie Alfred. She's eight years older than me, but that age difference didn't matter. I mean, she was my best friend. I mean, stuff I couldn't tell my mom, of course, I told my big sister. I remember one night I got stood up for a date and Amanda was at her bowling league and I called her, but it didn't matter. She took, walked off the lane and said, I gotta take this, my sister's calling me. And she stood there and talked to me till I calmed down, told me everything's gonna be okay. He stood you up, it's his loss. You know, anybody be lucky to have you. I, she, so anytime I needed her, she 100% there for me. Anytime she needed me, I was there. Uh, her parents tell me that she was a social butterfly, had lots of friends, lots of girlfriends, lots of guy friends. She was very popular and always chatting on the phone. They say she was on the phone or talking to people all the time. And where else was she? At the bowling alley. The bowling alley. Right? <laughs> she could bowl. She was quite a the bowler, they say. Yeah, she had trophies and... Uh, you know, I remember looking at those. Oh, man. Uh, so all of this just compounds the tragedy and the frustration of not knowing what happened to her. She wouldn't walk away from this life. So, Andy, you mentioned that Amanda worked at Eagle Bank, and it was actually December of 2004. She was at her company's holiday party at the Hillsborough Civic Center, where she met Brian Westfall. Before she met Brian, Amanda had recently ended a relationship with another man that she had been dating. I spoke with her best friend, Miranda Lovejoy, who told me a little bit about Amanda's meeting with Brian. She was at this party and met Brian, who I guess was working the party. And they, I guess, hit it off for talking and stuff. And one thing led to another, and they went back to his place, um, which was out of character for her. But, you know, I mean, she had just, um, she had been seeing someone, and they had were no longer seeing each other. So things happened, and... Um, they spent that night together. How did they leave it? Was it like, we'll hang out again, or that was fun, uh, but we're not planning to, to talk again? Um, I don't I don't really know how they left it. Um, she hadn't really had any contact with him again until she found out she was pregnant. And at that point, you know, she was kind of like, well, it could be his or it could have been the other guy that I had been dating because she didn't know how long, how far along she was yet. And then when she got the confirmation of when she got pregnant, then she knew it, there was no possibility it could have been the guy that she was dating, that it had to be Brian's. Well, he was involved at that civic center, right? I think he had keys to the place. Um, and the civic center in Hillsboro, Missouri, again, this is in Jefferson County outside of St. Louis, is sort of like the... Well, it's Hillsborough's the county seat, and the Civic Center's where they have things like holiday parties or wedding receptions, and the county fair, I believe. At least they did back at the time, the Jefferson County Fair. So that's pretty a central location, and that's that's where they saw each other 
the day she disappeared, and that's the last place anyone was known to have seen her alive. And that's why Brian Westfall is such a central figure to the case, not only because Amanda claims that he was the father of her unborn child, but because he's the last person to see her. So after finding out she was pregnant and narrowing the dates down, becoming pretty confident that it was Brian Westfall's baby, her friends, her family tell me that she reached out to him to set up a, a meeting, an opportunity to tell him what she felt was the good news. And he agreed to meet with her at the Civic Center. And Amanda brought her then four-year-old daughter, Hannah, along with her. Here's Amanda's friend, Miranda Lovejoy. She was excited that she was pregnant, but yes, she was you know, nervous to have to tell him that she was pregnant because she firmly believed that, you know, he should um, play a role in his child's life, you know. Um, She could have, you know, she could have just never said anything to him and had the baby on her own and never said anything to him about it at all, which, you know, we all now know probably would have been the best thing. Here's Amanda's mom, Bertha Probst. She went to meet him to tell him, her and Hannah went, and uh, met him at the Civic Center. That's where he wanted to meet her. Everything was at the Civic Center. Met her there, and she told him that she was pregnant. Well, he denied it, and he said that he would pay her for an abortion. Well, that's when Hannah spoke up and said, you're not gonna hurt my baby. She knew what an abortion meant. She knew that meant to kill the baby. And um, so, If he wasn't thinking that was his baby, why would you offer somebody money for an abortion? But she told him, she said, no. She said, I don't believe in abortions. I will raise this baby on my own like I have Hannah. So, Andy, needless to say, I don't think that was the reaction she was hoping for. But nonetheless, her friends tell me that she was ready to move forward and raise this child on her own. Yes, this was long before her disappearance, right? And this was long before their last meeting, which was the last known meeting she ever had with another person. Uh, So no alarm bells really went off then. Interesting that you use that term because that was sort of what her family told me about that day that she chose to meet him at the Civic Center on August 14th, 2005, was when an opportunity was set up for her to meet with Brian to discuss the future of baby Hayden. There was no alarm bells then either. No, no reason. She did not go there fearing like something might go wrong. They had some business between them she wanted to address and take care of. And The two had very little communication during the rest of Amanda's pregnancy, uh, but she moved forward setting up a nursery, which you saw firsthand, uh, and and preparing for life as a single mother of two. Again, Brian Westfall has always maintained that he is not the child's father, but he was the last person to see her, which is why law enforcement, even back then, said he would be a focus of their investigation. Yeah, I mean, it's just common sense, right? And I remember that uh, when we spoke to the—we talked earlier about Sheriff Glenn Boyer at the time— he was the one who took the case. So you have to follow leads. They asked for us to put her photo on TV, share the story, see if anyone could come up with uh, any other place she may have gone or uh, may have ended up after she met with Brian Westfall. But they knew all along that the meeting 
did take place, and he didn't deny that he saw her on the day she disappeared. But a lot of uh, the other things he said at the time uh, didn't necessarily check out or add up. But, but that wasn't what the sheriff was, uh, you know, so interested in him for at the outset. Again, it was just because he, of course, was the last person to see her. Here's Sheriff Glenn Boyer all those years ago. That would be a natural course of any investigation that you talk to uh, uh, any individuals that might have any possible leads. Westfall certainly is, is a person of keen interest to us simply because by his own admittance he was the last one to see her that, w- that we're aware of. And one thing I, that sticks out for me, Katie, is that he mentioned the name, Brian Westfall. Um, it wasn't something that they were trying to hide or shield him from. Westfall of the knowledge that he was at the center of this, even though the sheriff maintained then, and I believe all along that he, like in his heart, he never seemed to think that Westfall was a suspect per se, just he had more of a feeling that he's got some answers that are going to lead to where we want to go with this investigation. We're going to be able to figure this out. We need this guy's help. But of course, it never got there. Let's go through the the timeline of that day. August 14th, 2005. We know from Amanda's friends, Amanda's family, that at some point in the days or within a week leading up to that day, she had reached out to Brian. She wanted to let him know, one, that she was about to give birth. Right, she was getting close. She was planning to have a boy, which she thought may have made a difference to him. Maybe hearing that he... that. That it was was going to be a son. He might want to be involved. Either way, she wanted to give him the opportunity to step up. She wanted to give him the opportunity to be involved and be present when Hayden was born. So the morning of August 14, 2005, she got a phone call from Brian Westfall. Here's her parents describing what that conversation entailed. That Sunday morning... Mandy called the house from her home. And she said, Dad, you'll never guess who just called. I said, who was it? She said, Brian. Said, Westfall. Went Brian Westfall. And uh, he, want, he wanted to meet and talk. I think she was in the hopes that morning that he was ready to... Take responsibility. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't um, happen. So anyway, she, um, she came to church that day. She was a little bit late because of that phone call, mm-hmm. but everybody in there looked at her. And, I mean, she was just grinning from ear to ear. I mean, she had this glow on her face, like, she did. oh, it was just, I'll never forget it. It was just amazing. And she was dressed in all pink. She had a pink shirt on, a pink and white skirt on, pink flip-flops, pink purse. I don't know what more pink she could have had on, but she was, and she was waddling up a storm because she was so... Um, Heavy. Heavy from the baby and everything, you know. And uh, even the, the preacher said to her how glowing she was that day and how happy. You know, when we left church, she went out in the parking lot and she uh, told Hannah, you know, as you go with Grandma and Grandpa and Mommy will see you in a couple hours. Well, Hannah knew when Mama said she was going to be somewhere that she would be there. Okay, so. If not, she would call. She would call. So again, they mentioned that pink shirt, the pink skirt, the pink flip-flops, that outfit, that from that photograph, that last photograph we've seen of Amanda so many times. And I, striking to me is that they also mention 
what their preacher or pastor uh, noticed about her, that she was glowing. Um, <laughs> they said she was waddling because she was so heavy because she was so close to giving birth. But they remember all those little details, and it just all goes to that same feeling that they have and that we've shared and that we've picked up on, that she was not running away from this. There was, you know, she was embracing it. Hannah knew that when mom said she'd see you in a couple hours, that she'd see you in a couple hours. There was no doubt in, in their mind that they were going to see her again. Even as she went to go kind of face this unfortunate situation head on, they didn't have any doubt that she was going to be okay. Right. And they had no expectation that she was in any danger. So she meets her parents and they go to church and that goes up until around 1230 in the afternoon. And then she's going to leave and go to the uh, meeting with Brian Westfall at the Hillsborough Civic Center at one o'clock. Uh, we know those things happened. They didn't have any worry that they weren't going to see Amanda again, but they still knew that it was a, a tense, uncomfortable scenario for everybody to be involved in. And so much so that her sister Carrie had this gut instinct, had this feeling that she should go with her. Again, Amanda's eight and a half months pregnant. Her parents tell us she was already having contractions. It was a hot August day in Missouri. Carrie felt like she should be there. Right. There, there was one person who did not have a good feeling about this, who was worried. And I think Amanda kind of talked her out of it because she was rather insistent about, hey, I'll go with you. But that didn't happen. Before she left, I said why don't I go with you? Let me go with you. I have my own car. Let me go with you. No, Carrie, I need to do this on my own. I'll be fine. I'm like, please. She goes, no, Carrie. Stay with Mom and Hannah. Dad, I'll be fine. Why did you offer that? I had a gut feeling. I just had a gut feeling because, you know, first of all, when she told him she was pregnant, he wanted her to get an abortion. She said no because she was against that. We all are. Then he went, you know, then he didn't talk to her for pretty much the whole time she was pregnant. Then after she contacts him, you know, that he's about to be born and everything, and she just wants to know if he wants to be in his life or not, he all of a sudden contacts her and wants to meet. I just had a bad feeling. But instead of following my gut feeling, I let her go alone. I had my own car. I could have followed her and I didn't do it. And if I would have followed her, she might still be here today and hate it with me too. <laughs> but I didn't do it. I listened to her instead and went with my mom and dad. Then she never came home. I can't even imagine. That is so heartbreaking, and hearing it, I was choking back tears again. Um, and, you know, back at the time when I was covering this fresh, I never had those kind of moments with Carrie, Amanda's sister. It was more positive, we got to find her. Um, I never had that introspective feeling from her that she, in some ways, blamed herself, and it just rips my heart out 
hearing her. That that interview was from your recent work. Mm -hmm. That wasn't from 13, 14 years ago. And uh, gosh, it's so unfair. And she's not the only one. You know, everyone who knew or loved Amanda in some way feels like, God, what could I have done? How could we let this happen? And it's just not their fault. I want to reach out to her (laughs) and hug her and say, dear, there's nobody to blame for this except whoever is responsible. That was a hard conversation to have. Again, I, I didn't, this was my first introduction to these folks. Again, you've known them for years, but this was my first introduction. And looking at Carrie, having a sister of my own and knowing how close we are, it reminds me a lot of the relationship that Carrie described she and Amanda had. And it was unbelievably heartbreaking to listen to her 13 years later carrying this immense guilt and wondering if that decision to not go with made the difference. Yeah, it didn't. You know, she needs to know that. But that aside, it, there's probably no convincing her. And on on top of all of that, there's just going 13 to 14 years without seeing your sister and without knowing what happened, where she could be or how she died or whatever. Or if she died. Right. And it's just, it's it has to stop for these people. It ha- they need answers. And uh, hopefully they'll get justice. So Amanda left church alone. We know based on that surveillance footage that she made a stop at a Walgreens, picked up that Dr. Pepper, that can of hairspray, that keychain. We've seen her in surveillance footage there. And then she went on to the Hillsborough Civic Center where she met Brian Westfall. Again, none of this is disputed. Brian admits that the two of them met that day around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And then she just didn't show. And her... You know, after that meeting, I, you know, her parents are, that's where the trail ends. And it's never gone one step beyond that civic center. There's been a lot of uh, discussion, a lot of stories, I guess, about what happened once they arrived. There was talk of them maybe going to lunch. There was talk of them uh, just having a conversation there at the civic center. We know that Amanda was never seen or heard from after that. And in our next episode, we're going to get into a little bit more about the different stories, the discrepancies in those stories, and what police have been able to confirm as part of their investigation. On the timeline, we have her getting there around 1 o'clock. She got that phone call at 1.15, and that was the last phone call received or made from her cell phone. phone. You say... There has been talk of this scenario and that scenario. And all that talk is from Brian Westfall about whether they went to lunch or whatever they did. And his story changed a little bit. And we'll also dig deeper into that in upcoming episodes. Around 3 o'clock, Hugh said to Bertha, I guess things are going well since we haven't heard from her yet. But by about 3.15, 3.30, he said he was surprised that they still hadn't heard from her. Even if things were going as good as could be, they were still surprised that she hadn't called yet. And by 3.30, he said he started to get worried. And that's when the family started reaching out to her, trying to get in touch with her via her cell phone, 
trying to call her house, thinking maybe she'd gone home. And again, they're concerned because they love her, but they're also concerned because she's eight and a half months pregnant. Yes. Days away from giving birth. Could she have gone into labor? Could she be hurt? Behind the wheel, on the side of the road. All those things are going through your mind. And eventually, you know, one, one thing that also sticks out is they don't know Brian Westfall from Adam. Right. Right. They don't know how to get a hold of him. I don't think they know where he lives. Uh, so eventually, they start thinking, we got to find him. We if know we she was going out. to meet him. We need to find him. Find out where she is. We need to go to the last person who saw her. What does he know? And so then Amanda's mom started trying to figure out where he was, how to get a hold of him, and what he knew. Well, before we even contacted the police, I got in a phone book and was looking up Brian Westfault. I couldn't find a Brian Westfault, but I found some other Westfaults. I started calling them. Well, the last one I got, the lady answered the phone and I said, is there a Brian Westfault there? And she said, yes, just a moment. And she handed him the phone. Well, that was his mother. I didn't know it at that time. I told him who I was and why I was calling. I said, where's my daughter? That's the way I said it. He said, I don't know. I said, well, was she, did she go into labor or anything? No. And I think at that point I hung up because I was so upset. You didn't get hanging up. She was, she was, my wife was just I was, hysterical. A, I was hysterical. I, I took the phone and I said, listen, Brian, I said, I'm Amanda's father. And I said, if anything's happened to her, I will hold you responsible. Hearing Amanda's dad say that, one thing jumps into my head uh, that I remember, you know, there were questions about uh, all those years ago, uh, conflicting statements about whether they actually left the Hillsborough Civic Center. Early on, we reported that they went to lunch. They said it was a restaurant called Off the Hook. Off the Hook. But investigators did go to Off the Hook and looked at surveillance footage there, and the two of them were never seen there together. Right. So, and that's what we'll get into in our next episode is some of these things didn't match up. And so that sort of added to and snowballed um, in terms of the investigation zeroing in in one direction. So in our next episode, we're going to hear a lot from investigators from the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office to the FBI hearing what they know about that day, what they've been able to prove, what they've been able to disprove. And I think we're going to answer some of the questions that a lot of people have about this case, about warrants, searches, about where they can search, when they can search, why they can search, and, and on the flip side, where they can't search and when they can't search. So I think we'll get into a lot more of those details, kind of answer some of those hard questions that people have about this case. And hopefully jog some memories. It's never too late to remember something. I mean, going back and looking at all my notes now, 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, in some cases a little more updated than that, but certainly more than a decade old, I'm remembering things that I'd forgotten. And uh, hopefully some listeners out there, we've been getting feedback from our first episode alone. Uh, We're jogging some memories here, and maybe we're 
you know, it's a long path, but maybe we're back on the right one again. Sure hope so. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $20,000 for information leading to the location of Amanda Jones and her son Hayden, and or for information leading to the identity of the person or people involved with their disappearance. We thank you for listening. I'm Katie Corman. I'm Andy Banker.